Welcome to Conlanger, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. Uh, with me down the road a ways is William Annis. Hello. And uh, we are back. Yay. I have, I have finished my dissertation. Yay. Uh, also had another child. Yay. <laughs> and um, I'm looking for jobs now. Ooh. Or at least yes. frustrating. Yes, extremely frustrating, especially, um, William, I don't know if you've ever applied for academic jobs, but they're a big pain. But uh, yeah, that's happening. By the way, did you know that our show has a Patreon? (laughs) So you can support me uh, for this time if you go to patreon.com slash conlangery and take a look at... uh, at uh, what you can throw in there for every monthly episode. So, uh, one thing before we get into our main topic, the eighth language creation conference will be from, it will be the 22nd and 23rd of June, 2019, at Anglia Ruskin University in Cambridge uh, in the UK. Uh, so, if you want to go to that, then you better start planning. I believe that when this episode goes up, it will be past the deadline for talk proposals. So sorry about that. I didn't think about that when when I was publishing the last one. But uh, hopefully people who have wanted to give a talk at LCC8 have submitted something. So with announcements out of the way, we're... Going to a topic that we've wanted to do for a long time, we had it planned before we before I had to put the show on hiatus to work on the dissertation, uh, and uh, we just decided to come come back to it, and uh, we are going to be talking about telicity. And William, why don't you take away and get us started on what is Telicity. Yeah, I, I'm surprised we haven't talked about it before a little bit, but then also I'm not surprised because honestly, sometimes this topic still confuses me. <laughs> so I will endeavor not to say anything really outrageously stupid. So we've talked mm-hmm. about it before a little bit in association with other topics. And through today's episode, you'll just learn how many ways telicity sort of interacts with other things in your grammar. Um, Some quite subtle, some really obvious. Um, Mm -hmm. And telicity comes from the word telos, which means end, and refers to the event structure of, uh, I was about to say verbs. It's often associated with verbs, but for now we'll just say verbs. Um, And it has to do with, is the event complete in some sense? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. so John built a house. That implication to us is that is done. So that's telic. Whereas, you know, uh, so, you know, like a, a phrase like sleeping, you know, Bob is sleeping or John is sleeping. That's atelic because while it will end, there's not necessarily an obvious and natural endpoint for that. Right. You can think about it in, in some ways as, I mean, usually uh, it's often talked about as like a start point and an end point, but yeah. The endpoint is really important, and there's has to be for it to be telic. There has to be like a natural goal. Yep. 
for the event. There has to be like a natural place where like something happens that would stop it. So like sleeping is a, a good example of something AT like running. I got to stop running at some point, but if I'm, if I just say I, I went running, there's not a natural endpoint. Whereas if I say I ran to the store, there's a natural endpoint of me reaching the store. That's that makes it telic. Right. And this is an important thing here is telicity is not just a verb thing, right? A mm-hmm. verb a verb might bring along some telicity stuff with it, but you need the rest of the clause to be really sure. So, right. I mean there are there are like I said implications for a particular verb on its telicity. Some languages it's stronger than it is in others. Um, but you need the whole thing. You need the whole clause yeah. um, before you know whether or not you're dealing with a telic or a telic description of events. I think I think it maybe works a little bit better to think about it as like the whole predicate. Yeah, that's probably best. Um, because you need like you need not just the verb, but sometimes adverbs affect it. Sometimes the um, the object or um, Prepositional phrases affect it. Or, or um, not, not uh, even just the objects, but the number of objects. That's true, too. Uh, and whether the objects are counted or not. Right. Too. Right. There's all um, sorts of fun things. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into all of it. I think one thing I want to say that I hope will be a, a takeaway is that telicity is like a behind-the-scenes the thing. It is not, not the kind of thing that you would ever really want to like make an affix that means telic right because it's more like this is the event structure and there are a whole lot of things that go into it there's lexicon in terms of what verb you're using there's ob- uh, what the objects are there's certain um peripheral things that affect it it's it's not and i think that's absolutely right, William. That it's not really a property of the verb. It's a property of the statement, and grammar will be affected by that telicity, but it's not necessarily going to directly reflect it. Right. I do think, though, that how much telicity is part of the verb is something that's subtly different from language to language. And I have right. I have some Japanese examples further down where we can um, you know go into that a little bit more. So. In addition to telicity, I always think of telicity and lexical aspect as the same thing, um, mm-hmm. but not everyone does. So you can break down telic and atelic a little into a little bit more detail. So, and that has to do with um, how long the event lasts. So for telic verbs, we can have achievements, which is near instantaneous events like, you know, find, reach, die. And you can have accomplishments which are long-lasting telic events, such as, uh, you know, build a house, paint a painting, that sort of thing. Right. Atelic, you can have semulfactive, and that is just fancy Latin for done once. So sneeze, knock, cough. And another atelic is activity that has long duration, and that's like walk, sleep, things like that. And then finally, we have states, things like to know, to love. And some people say that they don't have telicity and other people say that they do, but they certainly do have duration. Right. 
So states are a, a weird thing because a state is not like an event, which right. I think is why people exclude it from from telicity. A state a state is something like um, like die. That's usually an achievement. I, I know yeah. these were these terms are very weird, but they are die. Yeah, the dog died. That's an achievement. The dog is dead. The dog is that that's a state. It's just sort of a just like something that that is it's not something that's happening. It's just what 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 the situation is. Um, I'm a little bit curious about the simulfactive, William, yeah. because like the example that you give is a sneeze, yeah. which to me, like it's a little bit complicated but like if i say i sneezed that would feel like an achievement to me right so this is we can let's bring that up a little bit further down when we talk about ways yeah so we've been talking about telicity as something that is about you know ends when's the natural Mm -hmm. ends point but this is going to confuse people because they're like well what about aspect perfective and imperfective doesn't that also have to do with you know ends uh, or perfect, and it does, but it's important that telicity has to do with meaning, and aspects have to do with presentation. Right. Like, how right. are you presenting information to your audience? And this is when it gets real delightful. Different telicities interact with different aspects in different ways. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, we'll, um, we'll get that in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think one thing that I, I would say is like uh, you you describe achievement as near instantaneous or in the literature, people will just say it's instantaneous. Uh-huh. Think about always think about this in terms of like normal human perception. Yes. Too, yes. Because yes, well, um, if we include like the heat death of the universe, then everything's telic, but that doesn't happen at a human scale. Right. And at the same time, like people will will and, and we might have to complicate this when we we talk more about this people might say he blinked is an achievement it takes some amount of time to blink but we sort of perceive it as, as something that happens instantaneously that's that's something to keep in mind but i think the the key thing is let's 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 forget about states for a second like an activity has sort of a, a like a, a duration, but it doesn't have natural endpoints. Yeah, an achievement has natural endpoints, but it doesn't have any perceivable duration. And then an accomplishment has a duration. You're doing a thing, and then you reach your your goal, and it has endpoints. So that's another way to think about the 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 lexical aspects. The key point for the telic versus atelic is telic things have that natural endpoint. Yeah. And then the, the duration is an added sort of dimension that adds to that. So different languages have different tests you can apply to mm-hmm. determine whether you're dealing with an atelic or telic sense. So in English, a good test is the in a month versus for a month <laughs> variation, right? John built a house in a month. That's okay. 
John built a house for a month. That sounds a little bit weird. Um, so if in a month is okay, then we usually think the phrase is telic. John built houses in a month. That sounds a little weird. John built houses for a month. That sounds okay. So if for a month is okay, then it's likely to be atelic. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, saying John built houses in a month is not ungrammatical, but it just, it doesn't sound quite right to us. So as always, people can argue about um, what these tests mean um, and can get fussy about the details. So um, yeah. in, in our show, show notes, I have a um, paper about um, the Igbo language of Nigeria and this includes all of the tests that they do to determine whether something is an activity, achievement, accomplishment. Um, and they're a little bit different. So, like, are you allowed to use it with the uh, adverb immediately? Are you allowed to use it with the progressive marker? All of this um, uh, are tests um, that you could do. And, I, and we've had the paper, but there are subtle differences here. So they say in Igbo, with a semilfactive like sneeze, you can't use it with a progressive marker. In English, oh. in English, we can, but that has a particular implication that you're repeating the activity over and over again. So like, I am, right. it, I yeah, am it's, sneezing. It's, that means I'm doing it repeatedly. I am right. it, becomes, it becomes an, an iterative. Mm-hmm. And then that can, that can become like an activity. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, that's, that's an interesting uh, thing. And it's, I think it will be useful for a lot of con language to be looking at these tests in a bunch of different languages because it gets you an idea of what the different things will be and how you how this will affect different things. Because like like in English, one of the, the main tests here we mentioned is just the choice of a, a preposition, right? Um in Igbo, it has you have your own different tests. They're all sort of going to be different for different languages, and you have to be thinking about that, and then thinking in terms of what grammatical machinery do you have in your own language, and how is that grammatical machinery going to interact with telicity? How is aspect going to interact with it do you have do you have prepositions that relate more to goals versus versus durations do you have um you know different kinds of adverbs that can affect things those are there are a a ton of different things accountability and plurality we talked about you just said talked about um john built a house versus built houses right there's there's a change in what the the telicity is just because of changing from one house to the plural houses right uh, it so there's a lot of different things that you can the, there's a lot of things that will interact and it will will be helpful where we'll, I, I think we'll go further into more languages what, what how how you test for telicity and that can give you an, a sense of like okay, now I need to think about what's in my language and then where where telicity is going to show up right, right. with all these things. Right. So one way that you can fiddle with the telicity of your, your you know, clause is how are you marking your 
arguments. So mm-hmm. pretty famously in Finnish, with a simple transitive, you know, verb, like write, for example, if you say I wrote an article and the article has the accusative, then it's telic. Mm-hmm. If you use the partitive case, I wrote part of, you know, of the article, that indicates that it's atelic. And that makes some sense because, because um, with the partitive, because of what partitive means, it's, right. it's, you did, you did part of a thing that, that makes some sense that like you were, it's, it's in English, we would probably do that with an aspect thing of, I, I wrote an article versus I was writing an article. Right. So right? A, a, another um, place where this is used in Finnish, where English uses what I guess you'd call an irresultative, is where we use at. So mm-hmm. I shot the bear, accusative, you shot it and it died. Mm-hmm. I shot, you know, at, you know, parted of the bear means I shot at the bear. Right. There's no, okay. right. We don't know that, right, that the end state is uncertain because you've used the partitive rather than the accusative. Right. So it's it's like using the partitive there, the same as using the at. It's basically saying, like, the natural endpoint of this would have been the bullet enters the bear's body. Right. But we're not telling you that information. It's where it's kind of assumed that it didn't actually hit, but... But um, we're we're not we're just not giving that information. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So and again to to go with Finnish, let's talk about stative verbs. Just by default, in Finnish, it looks like even though statives are weird about telicity, they mark their objects in the accusative. So in that sense, statives have been paired with um, telic verbs mm, in Finnish, and est- and then Estonian goes off and does its own thing. Um, it, right. it, it still uses argument structure to do all of this, but it's picked different cases. But I don't oh, remember, okay. Right, I don't remember the details. Um, so this is worth thinking about. You might have different um, case choice um, determining telicity. Didn't uh, um, didn't uh, David Peterson borrow something like this with Dothraki? I he, think there he was. He might have. He might have. I don't recall, but I wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I think I think that there's. That maybe you, you use the ablative case if you are, are assuming that that something is like not having an endpoint. But uh, anyway, that's what the there there we have another thing. So cases are another thing that can interact with telicity. Yeah, this is the the basic point of that. And think about that with whatever your case system is. Like think about that and think about. Is there a way that telicity can show up in the case marking? And even if you have these same cases, obviously we, we've mentioned how like there can be a difference between languages and, and, and how this is marked. Um, it's, it's still going to be your decision whether you want to mark this kind of thing with case or not. Right. Right. There's lots of ways to do this. I'm just raising some possibilities for you to play with. Right, right, right. Um, another thing, um, <clears throat> in English, count nouns versus mass nouns change telicity. Mm-hmm. I wrote poetry versus I wrote a poem. I wrote a poem, clearly telic. Um, I wrote poetry, clearly atelic. It's, uh, you know, an ongoing activity in the past with no particular endpoint. 
Here's a fun one. I love this. I can't find the paper again where I saw this. Um, but in Japanese, nouns are unmarked for number. Mm-hmm. If you have an unmarked noun, that is, you've not added an actual number with it, like we're talking about, you know, a book, you know, just I saw a book. Unmarked nouns are default singular with telic verbs and default plural with atelic verbs. That's the interpretation that speakers have. So here we have a case where the argument is pushing the verb into a particular, or rather the verb is pushing um, a feature of the nouns into a particular interpretation because of the verb telicity. Interesting. Right. Uh, I'd like to see that paper and see how that was arrived at. That's, that's another, that's an interesting thing. So that, in that case, we're probably talking about like lexical yeah. telicity, like the, the, the lexical aspect of the verb. Yeah. That's not going to be visible, as visible in, in the language as certain things that we're talking about. Because right. we're also talking about default, default interpretations. But it's still something that you will want to record in your grammar if that's something that's happening. Because like if you get to the point where you're composing texts or composing um, – uh, dialogues, that is something that can come up. And if you have a default interpretation for something, you need to be aware that you can try to find structures that will break that default interpretation. Right. Um, so I thought that was very interesting because yeah. in, in English, telicity is very much determined by all of your argument structure and the clause together. Um, where here right. you have... Definitely the verbs in Japanese seem to be carrying a little bit more telicity in the verb um, than they mm-hmm. do in English. Um, so that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so let's talk about aspect. Uh, telicity and aspects interact in all sorts of marvelous and subtle ways. So in languages that don't really mark tense, uh, that have but do have rich aspect systems, like you can have a situation where atelic verbs in the perfective might have a default present tense interpretation, while mm-hmm. tel- telic perfects might have a default past tense interpretation, where you'd use the mm. imperfective to represent um, the present. Mm, so so okay. you, you can definitely find languages like that. Um, we've talked about how semifactives in English in the imperfective indicate repetition. I was sneezing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In English, we don't like imperfectives on statives. I am knowing, I am knowing is not acceptable in standard English. Whereas other languages require imperfective on uh, statives. Like I think Turkish does, for example. Right. I think that's, that's sort of down to like the, the, the fact of statives. And I, I know that it's a debate. I feel I feel more comfortable saying that statives are sort of outside of telicity. Right. And if that's the case, it makes sense that different languages make different choices about whether what aspect to, to use with it. Right. Um, yeah, because it, it, it doesn't matter. It just is, is, it is what it is, but like different languages decide, am I going to make it a perfective or an imperfective? Sure, sure. Um, I'm including it because... Similar sorts of patterns sort of hover around all of these. And even if mm-hmm. statives aren't telic or atelic, there's still the same sorts of things going around them, I think. Right, right, right. Um, 
So another example is in classical Greek, the past imperfect with telic verbs can have a connotative interpretation. That is, um, a past imperfective, past imperfective can mean something like I tried to persuade or I was persuading. But with eight with telic verbs, excuse me, with atelic verbs, um, you absolutely cannot um, have that interpretation. Um, so that's a really subtle thing, and a good way for your Greek instructor to torture you when you're first reading big texts is to, you know, try to fish um, a try-to reading out of you. That uh, seems like, um, uh, okay, I, I don't think it, it works exactly the same thing. It, I think that there's, like, similar weirdness in, in Spanish to that, but it, I think it might have... It's maybe a more specific class of verbs than that. I can't think think right now what's going right. on. So um, the, the thing but, to think about is a clash between end states, mm -hmm. right? Telicity, do you have a, a natural end state to the event? Aspect, mm -hmm. is there an end state being presented? Um, right. And, and where you get clashes, um, interesting things can happen and different subtle interpretations are possible. Yeah, uh, I would expect. Now I don't know the details of the Greek, but um, example. But I would expect that this to be something that happens if we go into the breakdown of lexical aspect happens to accomplishments and not achievements uh, right. in most cases. Because achievements, remember, have no duration, right? Correct. Whereas accomplishment accomplishments can have this structure where like you are going towards the goal but you don't get to the goal and so that you could have that sort of imperfective thing going on there and i would generally expect and we i i'm sure we can get examples of this uh, for uh that to be like a difference between how achievements and accomplishments interact with an imperfective right Right. All of yes. This the, the, my point in bringing all of this up is not to say you know copy this thing from Greek, but really think about that. Some very subtle, uh, mm -hmm. subtle nuances can be brought out by this. And if you're designing your tense and aspect system, you should think about how these might interact. Right. Definitely. So, and then we have this marvelous feature of some languages that's well under well studied at any rate, um, called event cancellation. Mm hmm. Happens in Japanese and Burmese and Mandarin, uh, probably a few other mm -hmm. languages. Um, in Burmese, you can say without sounding insane, what literally translates to "I burned it, but it didn't burn," or "I stood up, but I didn't stand up." And what that means is you can describe the event, mm -hmm. and in English, it sounds like it actually was accomplished. But in these languages, even though you've got a telic, uh statement in the past tense, it's not necessarily been completed. And for whatever reasons, they call this event cancellation. Um, so you can't do this with statives in any language that I've seen in looking at this. Um, but naturally, from language to language, what kinds of verbs you're allowed to do this with differs. But in general, telic verbs are the only ones where, yeah. where you can cancel an event like that. Um. I can I can uh, think of a good Mandarin example, and it's um, forgive me, it pops in my head. It's kind of dark, 
work, but uh, it's shatui, um, um, where, where it, it's a resultative. Um, it's it's a resultative construction. You can say jindui shatui la diren. The 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 army kill flee enemy, and so what it is kill would normally be tilik, right? Yeah. It's you, you, you you're 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 doing some violence to someone and they die, right? Um, but if you add that that um, tway to it, the the flee, it means that you were trying to kill them and they retreated, right? Right. And that sort of it's it like makes it sort of still tilik, but not quite because it's a different different result. But uh, yeah, it's it's sort of the same thing of like something that lexically should be telic ends up sort of not being right. So they are right. They call this event cancellation, and what yeah, kinds yeah. of things can be canceled and what can't be canceled differs from language to language. And I've got a paper yeah. both with with uh, it's focused on uh, Burmese, I think, mm-hmm. but includes yeah. some some other language examples. So yeah, that's that's something we're thinking about. You know, Telic event in yeah. the past. Did it really happen? Can you cancel it this way? Right, right, right. Okay. Um, you were going to say? Uh, no, not nothing. Let's talk about directional part part particles. Right. So you've got this, you know, hapless verb. It, it has implications of a particular telicity that it's most naturally used for. But then you start adding things to it, and not just arguments, but things like directional particles. Like English, we have all, you know, pick up, put up with, all of that stuff. The Slavic languages have lots of uh, prefixes, Hungarian, Manambu. I have a paper on Karuk, um, which Mm -hmm. uh, adds a bunch of directional particles. And the point is, for a lot of these, the directional particles make things telic. Right. You don't have to. So it's worth thinking about, you know, if you add... You know, uh, uh, you know, prefixes or suffixes that mean up or over and all of that, they might change the telicity in all sorts of interesting ways. And the Slavic languages are notorious for mixing sort of um, aspect and telicity once you start sticking on prefixes. It all gets pretty complicated. Uh, a really good English example for this would be burn versus burn up or burn down, either yep. of them. Yep. That's right. Perfect. So, perfect. so the, the paper burned. That's 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 an activity. The bur- the paper is is just like on fire right yeah. now. The paper burned up. The that means the paper who uh, what has been reduced to ash. That's that's an accomplishment. Yep. So take a look at all the examples from the different papers that we're going to post up uh, because obviously it's going to be diverse in different languages like which which particles get used or how they're attached. But yeah, that, that, that's sort of the basic idea in that, that case. Right. Um, so different kinds of, so in some sense, these, you know, directional particles are a kind of derivation, uh, maybe, but certainly derivational affixes may either change telicity in some way, um, or, or certain derivations might simply not be possible with certain telicities. For example, I didn't find a paper on this, but I'm not sure you can add the unprefix to atelic verbs. You can't unwalk. Mm. You can't unsneeze. That doesn't make sense. Um, but we can certainly undo, unfix, unbreak. Yeah. 
we're 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 specifically talking about un meaning uh, reversing an action. Yes, yes, to reverse the action. And and it that makes sense. It the it makes sense based on the meaning because like untie that means that you are reversing from the goal of having something tied to yep. having it untied, yep. right? Yep. So that that makes sense that in this case that would that would be um, done. So I would I would be suggesting there like as you're making your derivational affixes, think about that in terms of what does this mean, and then does that meaning require it to be attached to something that's telic or atelic, right? Right. And then uh, one uh, derivation, which is nightmarishly complicated for this, is causatives. Because causatives have two parts to the activity. There's the part where something's being caused, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, you know the object or whatever's being caused. And then you have the event itself that's being caused in its own arguments. Mm-hmm. So in general, the causing part of a causative is telic. I made him go to school. So the made him part, telic, generally. The go to school, yeah. that's different. And once again, different languages are going to cope with this differently. Um, telicity might shift in a causative. Right, right, right. The whole, the whole thing might be decided to be simply causative. Um, or you might be able to, you know, do the in a month for a month for different parts of that event, the causing a part and the, the, the caused event. I wonder about that should probably like I don't think we have a source for this, but that should still also be true for resultatives. I gave I gave an example of that earlier, but that the same sort of thing should be going on with resultatives. If like one like the the thing that's leading to the result maybe is telic and the result is a telic something right. like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It would be that's that's a. a the any time that I think that any time where you have like a complex meaning of that type, causatives are just an easy example. You're gonna have like potential for weird changes in telicity and stuff. Right. In addition to you know, like all of your transitivity issues and agentivity, all of that. Yeah, causatives are. The more I learn about causatives, I feel like the less I know. <laughs> That, that's true of a lot of things. Right. Yeah, I guess that's true. All right. So, and then the last point I had was you can get same sort of complexities with auxiliary verbs. Um, mm. So, for example, in the Odia language, um, the verb for to fall, pad, is used in, a, in an auxiliary construction to indicate a sudden event. It also necessarily makes the event telic. So, he fell asleep before evening is the example in the paper I have where fall is used as, um, in this case, it happens to match the English sentence, fall asleep, versus just just, just, uh, along with, you know, just plain to sleep. There used to be, and I even linked to it when we had our uh, episode about auxiliary verb constructions, Um, I had a great paper that had all sorts of different subtleties in Turkish languages about what the meaning of this or that auxiliary was, depending on the lexical aspect of the verb it was going with. Sometimes they could be quite different. But that paper has disappeared and has apparently moved into a book, which is no longer available online. So I don't have good examples of those, unfortunately. 
But oh, defi- but, dear. But, but it's, <laughs> I mean, in English, our helping verbs are pretty simple. They just fiddle with aspect and mood. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like uh, Turkish, the, the auxiliary verb constructions do all sorts of subtle things. Things like things where we would use adverbs, like suddenly you can have benefactive senses, um, you know, like I did this force on someone's behalf. All of those interact subtly uh, to change, potentially, either to change the telicity or um, have a different interpretation depending on the telicity of the rest of the expression they're going with. So there are a few examples in this Odia paper that I have. Okay. That's interesting. <clears throat> That's interesting. Do you have any other things that you want to share? Uh, about this? Nothing big. That was really the main ones. More just to to... And I'm still, honestly, when I started working on this, it was more because I had just started thinking about the issue myself and and, and making sure that I thought through some of these things. Um, mm-hmm. And so these are just the issues that I've come across so far that need to be thought about yeah. <clears throat> a little bit. It's like I yeah. said, sometimes I still sort of like achievement, accomplishment. I mean, my brain starts to break down sometimes if I look at this stuff too long. Um, but I'm I trying. hate... I- I hate the terms. I just hate the terms. Yeah, they're pretty bad. Why? Why? Why is achievement so favorite grant accomplishment? But yeah, I know. But keep keep thinking thinking it think of it in terms of endpoints and duration, and you'll understand what the things actually are. Yeah. Um, I fe- I had a paper. This is uh, someone presented this a long time ago at uh, like the the sort of student run conference, and. I remember there being more to it than is in this paper, but uh, it does give an interesting thought. This is uh, um, Erwin Lara's um, was looking at idioms in Spanish, and it, he's specifically talking about idioms that can't be like broken up and recombined and still retain their idiomatic meaning. And uh, it does give some interesting like sort of background and ways to think about telicity in terms of like he he breaks up the duration and the the endpoint as separate things but also um he's sort of showing that um that the the figurative meaning of the idiom can have a different telicity than the literal meaning uh or, or a different lexical aspect sorry than yeah. the literal meaning because it's it's still the what the example that he focuses on is still going to be telic but what it is is um he used the example recoger uh, las velas of furl the sails which can mean to give up so literally furling the sails um i think what he's saying is that is an accomplishment like there's 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 a thing that you do and then at the end the, the sails are all furled, rolled up, and and no longer catching the wind. Whereas the figurative meaning is more of an achievement. Like you don't you can't just you can't say when you're meaning that it is giving up, you, you can't do things like cancel it or give a reading of like you started to do the thing and you didn't finish it. It has to be like different. So that's an interesting Thing. And it kind of gets to the, the point of like telicity and lexical aspect. I think you can say it's more about semantics at its core than about grammar. 
And then like all these grammatical things that we're talking about is how the grammar is interacting with that meaning that's in like the whole predicate or the whole clause. Right. Yeah. So um, definitely when you go looking, like if you do a Google search for stuff on lexical aspect and telicity, you will find an awful lot of papers just full to the brim of lambda calculus, which means this is like formal semantics being looked at here. Yeah, I found I found some stuff like that. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to post that because not yeah. everybody's going to understand it. And it's a little bit more theoretical than we focus on. But yeah, yeah um, it, it is it is sort of a semantic thing, but I think it's easy enough to understand like these categories of state, activity, achievement, accomplishment, and thinking thinking in those terms, then say, okay, what like stuff do I have in my grammar, and what does that mean when it interacts with these things? But I think that's that's the key thing you want to be thinking about tolicity and lexical aspect for is is don't try to mark it in like a really like simple way try to think about like how all these things will interact with that uh, and right so in your dictionary when you have auxiliary yeah. verbs if they might have a different interpretation depending on the verb lexical aspect then mention it there it should be in your dictionary right right right, right maybe right. talk about it in your grammar a bit but um yeah you, you don't need an entire you know large chapter on on telicity or lexical aspect in your grammar. It could be like a section yeah, of a, something. Just a like in just your verbs. Thing, yeah. Um, it, like it's whether or not your events can be canceled or not should definitely be part of the discussion, for example. Right, 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 right. If you have like a semantics section, a, a, a semantics chapter, yeah. which, you know, not everybody gets to that point, but it's, it's probably useful. Like a semantics and pragmatics, then... Uh, you probably want to ha- talk a little bit about telicity and lexical aspect and like what what happens when when you're interacting with the, these different things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's about all, all we wanted to talk about. I had a thing in my head and it's stuck and I can't remember what it is, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that happens. Um, welcome back, William. Yeah, welcome back, George. Uh, Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, if anybody wants to, uh, I mentioned this in the last episode, if anyone wants to read my dissertation, you can email me. I'm not going to like, it's not publicly available and I don't really want to necessarily try to post it on the um, website. I, I did, as, as I said before, it's not necessarily the kind of thing that's that useful for conlangers. <laughs> right. Um, so it's not really um, necessarily in the purview of the show. But if you want want it, then I can arrange that. But um, you should say uh, what it's about. Uh, it is about. I won't get into the details, but it's about how mannered speakers produce stress in English, specifically talking about like the phonetic correlate. So. Um, I focus just on, on intensity, duration, and pitch, right? And uh, was trying to see uh, what what influences from Mandarin could be de- detected from that. But uh, it's not – it's way too, like, narrow phonetic-y for con language to be worried about. But anyway, so, Telicity, be thinking about it. 
be thinking about it when you're doing uh, like your lexical verbs and when you're talking about different parts of your grammar and be just thinking about how the grammatical machinery you have may interact with with telicity and lexical aspect. And I think it's very useful to do it in, in terms of the, the, the state activity achievement accomplishment, the semifective, I need to, I personally need to learn more about that and what makes it like a different category. Cause I think that's, that's a controversial thing a little bit. I think that there are some crazy lexical functional grammar, crazy people who have taken these lexical aspect categories and completely reworked them. And so they're like two separate columns of these things. Yeah. But um, I think also it's very important to, to think about it in terms of, mm. does it have endpoints? Does it have a duration? And that's kind of what the, the basic categories at least do. But uh, with all of that, I think, William, you have any other final comments? Nope. Nope. All right, Telicity, go through our links, look <laughs> at examples in other languages, try to think about like how it would apply in your language, and uh, thank you for listening, and happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. Conlangery is supported by our listeners. Thank you to Margaret Ransdell Green, Bram Hill, Ezekiel Fordsmender, and all our patrons who support us at patreon.com slash conlangery. Conlangery is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike license. You are free to use or adapt our work for any non-commercial purpose as long as you credit Conlangery Podcast and release any derivative works under the same license. Web space for Conlangery is provided by the Language Creation Society. Our site was designed by Bianca Richards, and our theme music is by Null Device. <laughs>